Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. It's good to be with you guys. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Isaiah 55. If you didn't happen to bring a Bible with you, there's one in the seat back right in front of you or underneath you if you're in the front row. Isaiah 55, if you turn halfway through and start turning back towards the back, you'll find Isaiah and 55 is where we're going to be. Guys, last week we started this series called When God Doesn't Make Sense. And uh, I, I think it was super helpful to start off where we did um, in God's Word in Psalm 73. And if you happened to have missed last week and, and, and you're in this place where this would seem pretty relevant to you, um, you can go online to our website, waynesborofm.com, and, and you can check into last week's message and, and, and what was preached in Psalm 73, or you can go to our YouTube channel and see the sermon there, or you could also um, listen to our podcast. We have a podcast available, and you could subscribe to it, and it can be downloaded on your phone or your tablet or your device, wherever, and you can take it with you wherever you go. So that is available for you. Guys, I'm going to say if last week was hard, um, then, then, then this week is going to be harder. Last week will seem like a cakewalk compared to this week. Um, and I want to start off by explaining some of the experiences that my wife and I get to have in this thing called parenthood. So one of the things that we've learned, that my wife and I have learned, is that 95%, I'm, I'm not kidding, 95% of the conflicts between my children usually revolve around what's fair, right? I mean, think about it. I mean, if you're a parent and you're looking at your kids and you see the conflict that they're going through, more than all, more than this life so far and not yet experienced something like that. What about when God seems unfair? That's what we're talking about this morning. When God seems unfair. That's where we're exploring today. And keep in mind, what we learned last week as we head into this week. We learned last week that God, God doesn't promise explanations. He provides what? Perspective. He helps us see something higher than we're seeing right now. So what fresh perspective do we need God to implant into our souls when he seems unfair? Now, I'll tell you this. I've, I've had a personal experience of this. My wife and I have had an experience where um, something really seemed unfair, and I don't have time to go into all the details in it, but, but basically we got to enjoy something that somebody else was, was stripped of. And, and, and it was somebody that we cared about, that we knew, that we were friends with, and it was hard for us. And we thought it was really unfair. And I remember going before the Lord, and I remember reading in my journal, I, I went back and read through my journal, I remember that experience where I went before the Lord and I was just crying, God, this, this, this doesn't make any sense. This isn't fair. This just, God, this doesn't seem fair. And I remember when I was on that wrestling match, because when, remember what we learned last week, where do we run when we think God is unfair? When, when God doesn't make sense, we run into his presence. So I ran into his presence and I prayed and I was talking and, and, and ex explaining and, and complaining almost. And, and, and as I was doing that, Holy Spirit, like brought to remembrance a truth that I've heard over and over again and a truth that I, I've thought of multiple times and even memorized as a kid, right? And it's simply this, that God's ways are higher. And that's what I heard over and over and over again. I'd say, yeah, God, I, that, that wasn't satisfying to me. It wasn't satisfying to me. I said, yeah, what, God, so you're, you're dismissing my pain. Is that what you're doing, God? 
I, I, know, I, I know your ways are higher, but this isn't fair. My ways are higher than your ways. It seemed like God was just simply dismissing me. It, seemed like, it seems like our struggling with things that aren't fair is, is, is being dismissed with God just simply saying, hey, you're stupid, I'm really smart, you gotta either get up on my level or pull an Elsa and just let it go. Honestly, like that's what it felt like. So is, is, is when, when, when we're wrestling with something that's unfair and either Holy Spirit or a brother and sister in Christ comes to us and says, brother, I love you. Hey, God's ways are higher than your ways. Are they just in their comfort and, and ease of life just simply dismissing the discomfort at your dismay at God's unfairness or seemingly unfairness? Is that what they're doing? Is that what God's doing? Is that what this passage is for? Is that what this truth is really after? Hey, God's ways are higher than your ways. How do I say this? It would be just a simple dismissal if this truth didn't mean that to the original readers that Isaiah was writing to. It would be a dismissal if we just pulled it out of context and just slapped it onto the situation at hand. The only way we'll actually know is if God's ways are higher than our, or higher than our ways, is the truth meant to infiltrate the kind of heart and mind that's caught up in this belief that God is unfair? If, if that, that's, like we've got to figure out what the context is. If that's what's going on here, then we'll know. Then it'll make sense then this is the right thing to go to. Then what God was trying to speak in those moments of my confusion and his unfairness was right. So let's do this. Let's, let's work through some contests. Let's just start in verse six in chapter 55 of Isaiah. We'll read verses six and seven, and then we get to those truths in verses eight and nine. Verse six says this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he is near. Let the wicked one abandon his way, circle the word way, and the sinful one his thoughts, circle the word thoughts. Let him return to the Lord so he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will freely forgive. Okay, all right, pause there because we find this radical invitation. We find this invitation from God to the wicked to literally the, the guilty, the, the, the vile criminal. The invitation is to abandon their ways and their thoughts and to return back to God. Literally, repentance in a verse. So in, in one sense, right, you and I, when we are turning back to the Lord, we can't keep our same worldview and we can't keep our same lifestyle when we turn back to God. So repentance is actually abandoning them and embracing God's higher thoughts and ways. So that's, that's what's going on here. But isn't it crazy what happens next? What happens when we do that? What do we find? Verse 7. We find compassion from God. Not justice. We find mercy. We find full, free forgiveness when you and I turn back to the Lord, even though we were the vile criminals. So wait, 
Just think about this. God is issuing out an invitation for the vilest of sinners to repent and turn back to God. And if and when they do, they'll be compassionately forgiven of all their wrongdoing at no cost to them. How is, how is that fair? That's, what? That's not fair, legally speaking, right? Legally speaking, in our perspective, that would be considered an injustice, right? That's an injustice. I mean, if you don't believe me, picture this. You and I are jury members in a courtroom. Let's, let's, let's play this out just a little bit. We're sitting in the jury bench and, and, and standing, uh, sitting in the, the, the defendant's block is this, is this guy who's being charged with, with rape and sexual assault and murder in, in the first degree. And, and, and all the evidence has already been presented. And goodness, it is, it is overwhelmingly condemning that this guy is guilty. It's just, it's just obvious to everybody in the courtroom. So everybody's just kind of looking at the watch thing, and this should be done by now. Why are we this long, right? And so the jury dismisses to make their decision. We come, and we're like, hey, everybody's, everybody thinks, yeah, he's guilty. Totally. Absolutely. So we write our decisions down. We go to the judge. We come back into the courtroom. We hand our decision to the judge, and the judge, the gavel falls, guilty. Straight up. Easy. Everybody knows it. Everybody also knows that the full extent of the law should be brought on this guy and all the punishments that are due to such criminal acts. But then the defendant just simply says, truthfully, from his heart, I've recognized that my ways are wrong. My thoughts have been wrong. I'd rather, I'd rather obey what, what, what the law says is good. I'd rather do that. And the judge looks at him and says, Okay, I'm going to have compassion on you then. Your crime has been abundantly pardoned. You're fully, freely forgiven. Nothing's on your record anymore. You're just, you're free to go. What, what, would, what would you and I be doing in that situation? We'd, we'd be turning over the tables in the courtroom, right? We'd be furious. We'd be yelling at the judge. Hey, hey, uh, you, you did that wrong. That's not fair. This guy's a guilty criminal and you're letting him go free? How does that make sense? And in response to all of our cries of injustice, the judge just simply looks at us and says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, verse eight. And your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So guys, can't you see that the very context of this simple truth that God's ways are higher than our ways is, is the context of unfairness? The context of something that just doesn't quite make sense that God would be able to do. It seems unjust. Something where there, if that were the case, there would be riots in the streets and reform in the legislation. If something like this happened. So when God seems unfair and Holy Spirit or a brother and sister in Christ comes to you and they say, hey, I know things are really unfair right now. God's ways are so higher than ours. They're not dismissing your comfort with a bumper sticker verse. They're directly 
speaking to the perspective that we need, designed by God, to infiltrate and obliterate the lies that God has been unjust, that God has been unfair. I mean, in forgiving the sinner, God is doing something that seems unfair to us. All right, so, so honestly, at this point, you're probably thinking, or you might be thinking, all right, Scotty B., so you're saying that God will do some things, has done some things, or will allow some things that seem unfair to us. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. Yes. God will do things and will allow things and won't do things that will seem unfair to us in our minds. Have you ever thought about what you would do if you were God? Actually, better question. Have you ever thought of how terrible at being God we would be? Have you ever have you jumped into that little ride? It ends terribly. I mean, don't you agree with that? We would make crummy gods. We'd be terrible at it. I mean, it, the reason why is because we operate in what we think is what's fair. Right? We work so hard to prevent things that's unfair. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm saying our standard of unfairness is different. So if the sole purpose of God's existence was to prevent absolutely everything that seems unfair in our minds, to be honest, brothers and sisters, we wouldn't have 90% of this if God's sole purpose was to prevent everything that seems unfair in our perspective. We wouldn't have 90% of the stories in this book. Right? Cain wouldn't have killed Abel. That's Genesis 4. The, the flood wouldn't, wouldn't, would have only wiped out those who were really bad, not those who were kind of bad. The, the, the Abraham wouldn't have to, had to leave his home. He wouldn't have had to travel over to Canaan because that wasn't fair, right? Why, I mean, we're in the comfort of our home. That wasn't fair. Esau, Esau wouldn't have had his birthright stolen by his little brother Jacob, right? Or, or Joseph, get this, wouldn't have been sold into slavery in Egypt by his own brothers. Or what about Israel? Israel wouldn't have ended up in slavery. Pharaoh wouldn't have been the cause of all the suffering that Egypt endured because of his own hardness of heart. Right? Moses would, would, not, would have at least been able to go into the promised land a little bit with all of his hard work. Guys, that's literally this much of the Bible. And we're already rewriting it based on what we think is fair. There's 64 more books to go. So do you, do you realize that if, if God strictly allowed only what was perfectly fair in our perspectives, that not only would we miss 90% of this, we wouldn't have the gospel. We wouldn't have the good news of Jesus. How is it fair for a wretch like Scott Brud to be loved by an infinitely holy and perfect God who created all things. How is that fair? How is it fair that in God's love for us, God sent his only son to die a criminal's death who was innocent? How is it fair 
that, that Jesus, the perfect son of God, would unfairly die in our place and take the wrath that you and I rightly, fairly deserved. As we, the guilty criminals, have gotten off scot-free, and I don't know why they picked my name for that. We've gotten off scot-free by simply believing upon Jesus. God crucified his own perfect son for us. How is that fair? How is that fair? It isn't fair. It's scandalous. At least in our human perspective. If you don't think so, then, then you should talk to your own kids. You know why? Because last week uh, in, in kids' church, your children were shown just how unfair it was for, for an innocent to take the place of the guilty in punishment. It was illustrated. It was played out. They were acting it out. And, 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 and guess what? Guess what we found out? We didn't have to convince them that it was unfair. No, that's fine. Let them do it. No, no. All of them unanimously, instinctually knew that it isn't fair for someone innocent to take the punishment of a wrongdoer. And then we got to preach the gospel. This is at the heart of the gospel. Jesus died in our place. So brothers and sisters, I, this, is, this is something that's really hard. And, and I think that this is the first step in the perspective that we need. And it's simply this. God isn't about keeping everything to our standard of fair. That's not why he exists. That's not his sole purpose and mission in life. Is to say, hey, what does Scott Brud think is fair? And I'm going to make sure everything in his life goes according to his fairness standards. It's not why he exists. Now, as hard as this may seem, can we at least agree with this? If you agree with this, just nod your head, yeah. Do we agree with this? So this means, if this is true, and I believe we have to agree that it's true, according to the whole storyline of Scripture, this means then that our experiences in life all of our efforts and our thought processes won't always be God's. There will be a difference, which is exactly why God starts off his declaration in verse eight by simply saying, hey, my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. That literally is just simply claiming the truth that there's a distinction between the two. They're not united. They're not the same. There's a division. There's a difference between the two, between what we think is right and fair and good and what he thinks is right and fair and good. They're not the same. Which is, again, why we would make just really terrible gods. But the question is, okay, so they're different, but how different? What's, what's the level of distinction? How great is the rift between our thoughts and what is it truly? Well, that's exactly what verse 9 gets at, right? It's exactly what it answers. For as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
So he paints the picture that the gap between our thoughts and ways and God's thoughts and ways is the distance between earth and heaven. All right, so when we talk about in scripture, when we talk in the Hebrew word, earth is just simply land. It's what we're standing on right now, right? But what is heaven, right? Heaven seems kind of ethereal. Are we talking about the spiritual heaven, the place where we all go when we die and we put on unicorns and rainbows and hats and whatever? No, we're talking about, we're talking about a, a physical realm so the first place that we would look is we'd say, well, it's the sky. Is it the sky? Yeah, actually, it's the sky. Heaven is the sky. So if we think about how high God's ways are than our ways, it's, we can go, the sky's the limit, right? It's that high, right? So the outer limit of our atmosphere, I'm going to dump some science on you. The outer limit of our atmosphere at its greatest is about 11 miles high. In the deepest parts of land and the highest extent of the atmosphere, it's 11 miles apart. Guys, some of you drove 11 miles just to get here this morning. I could, I could probably run that without a heart attack. It's not that much. So is, is that the distinction? God's ways are up here and our ways are down just 11 miles apart? No, it's not that small. When, when we look in Genesis 1, we also see that when the word heaven is used, it's the place where the, it's the canvas where the sun and the moon were put. And if you don't know your science, the sun is, I think, 190, sorry, sorry, it's 92 million miles away. Now that's, that's a difference. 92 million miles away. But it's not just that. It's not where the sun and the moon are. It's also, in Genesis 22, we see God refer to the stars in the heavens. All of the different lights in the heavens, the stars, the galaxies, so I don't know if y'all uh, paid attention to any of the news in the last two weeks from NASA or anything, but you guys noticed that the, uh, the Perseverance rover successfully landed on the planet Mars, right? And, and do you know how uh, long it took for the, the rover to get there? Seven months. It took seven months to get there because it's 135 million miles away. 135 million miles away, seven months to travel that. But guys... That's just a planet in our solar system, which apparently is just now eight. Poor Pluto. What about in April 2018? I don't know if y'all saw this come out either. I pay attention to some of what happens in the universe. April 2018, NASA's Hubble telescope discovered a distant star that, that breaks the record for the furthest star that we on Earth have ever seen the furthest star away that we've been able to observe. It's a blue supergiant super star called Icarus. Guess how far away it is? Nine billion light years. Nine billion light years away. Guys, a light year is literally the distance light will travel in one Earth year. To give you some perspective, light can travel almost six trillion miles in one year. Six trillion miles in one year. So in other words, it would take about 137,000 years for us to travel to the furthest star, Icarus. And you know what? Scientists believe that that's only halfway across our universe. Nine billion light years away. 
And that's how far above us God's thoughts and ways are. And then some. That's the difference. And guys, when we look out into the universe, when we look at the stars and the galaxies and the planets, there's things that science, that we've been able to discover, things that we've been able to come to understand and observe about the universe that this earth is kind of hung in, right? There's so many things that we know about the planets and the galaxies, but there's a lot that we don't. There's much more that we don't. Like, we don't know why uh, science has revealed that all the stars and galaxies and planets are drifting apart from a single location, a single spot. They can't explain that. We can, as Christians. They can't explain what a, what a black hole is. is it a, it's a gravity suck, but is it like a time warp? You get to travel back 5,000 years or 5,000 years ahead? Is that what a black hole is? No. You know they just found like a group of five different black holes all on top of each other? Can't explain it. Or why, why does, why does uh, uh, there's, there's something else. Why do stars explode into supernovas when they run out of energy to run? That makes no sense. They can't explain that. You see, you and I, when we look out there, we can, we can, uh, we can see and we can observe and we can know in part what all is going on in the heavens. But there's so much that we don't know. And the same is true of God's thoughts and ways. Which is why the Apostle Paul, in praise to God, simply says this in Romans 11, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Inscrutable means incomprehensible. Friends, this is, this is why his thoughts and ways are higher than our thoughts and ways. They are above our own. They are higher than our own. They're, they're known yet unknown. They're observable yet impossible to fully understand and comprehend. And yet what we do know about God's thoughts and ways is what, what we've seen in the story of Scripture, what we've experienced in our lives. So this is the highest authority above it all. And, and Scripture actually gives us like seven main core descriptions at the ways of God, how we can think about God's ways. And, and they're these, right? So we have these. We have, for example, God's ways. Oh, I'm going backwards. First, God's ways are right. We find that in Hosea 14.9, meaning that they, they're, they're, they're not wrong. They're not morally wrong. They're morally right. Or what about God's ways are holy? We find that in Psalm 73, 13. They're holy, meaning they're, they're without sin. There's no brokenness in them. Or what about Ezekiel 18, 25, where it says that God's ways are just? They're just, meaning they're fair. Meaning they're, 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 they're not unfair, they're not unjust. Or what about Habakkuk 3, 6? God's ways are everlasting. Right? They endure through all the generations. Or anything you find in 2 Samuel twenty two thirty one, God's ways are perfect. They're excellent. They don't lack anything. Then we get Psalm 46, 11, where we find out that God's ways are for his glory. He is trying to make himself big in our lives. He is working to magnify his greatness in every way. 
And then we get Romans 8, 28. That God's ways are for our good. For those who love God and are called by him. So these are the descriptions of God's ways. All of his ways. Now, can you and I look at this list and pick out one and say, oh, all of my ways are at least that. (laughs) Sorry, spit gallery. No, I can't pick a single thing on there and say every single one of my ways fits in that category. But God can. Therefore, in other words, brothers and sisters, God's ways are higher in every way, always. Can we say that together, church? One, two, three. God's ways are higher in every way, always. When we think of higher, we mean exalted. They're above. They're lifted up above all other ways, all other thoughts. There's no one besides them. They're all incomprehensibly, infinitely beneath them. So brothers and sisters, honestly, this is the perspective that you and I need to have. We must continually hold before us when life gets incredibly hard. When the tough questions abound and God just doesn't make any sense at all. So like, when, like we found out in Psalm 73, Asaph struggling with this. When wicked people around us prosper and the pure in heart suffer. How is that fair? Or when, when a boy's parents split up and he's forced to suffer, dividing his time between the two. Or when a woman suffers intense abuse at the hand of her abuser and there's no justice. And we say, God, this isn't fair. What you and I need is this perspective We need to see this. This needs to be true in our souls. God's ways are higher in every way, always. Now, what I'm, what I'm not, I need to be careful here. What I'm not saying is that God supports and therefore supplements wickedness. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that God is apathetic to the pain of a little boy grieving the the, the splitting up of his parents. I'm not saying that either. And I'm also not saying that God heartlessly turns his eyes away from the abuse victim. I'm not saying that at all. That's that's not this. What I am saying, it does mean that there will be a day when every wicked and sad thing becomes untrue. And until then, we need to cling to this truth like it's the anchor in the raging storm. We need to protect this truth deep in our souls like it's the greatest treasure that we've ever had. And we need to fight to see this true in our lives. Why? Because there's some devastating things that happen when we don't. There's some things that scripture talks about that happens when you and I stop believing this, when we're not as convinced of this as we once were. There's something that happens. And guys, I'm I'm just going to go ahead and tell you right now, this is the hardest part of the morning. What we're about to talk about will be the most painful part. 
So when, when, you, when we go to God's word and we study scripture and I'm, I'm preparing to, to preach on, on God's word, uh, some of the things that we've learned to do is to find a Hebrew word that we're, we're, we're seeing as imp, uh, important to the text and we look to see how it's used elsewhere in scripture. And so that's one of the things that I did for the word higher. God's ways are higher so that we can understand what that means. What does it mean to be higher? So I discovered that, I mean, it's not like, other smarter people haven't already found this. I'm just a personal discovery, okay? I'm not a scholar. I don't know everything. Give me, give me some peace, all right? But I've, I, I, in studying this, here's something that I found out. That, that this word higher, the Hebrew word higher, is used of those who place their own thoughts and ways above God's. So I've, I found the clearest example of this in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 2. Thus says the Lord, because your heart is proud, there's our Hebrew word for higher, because it's proud, and you have said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of the gods, in the heart of the seas, yet you are but a man and no God, though you make your heart like the heart of a God. The word proud here is higher, right? So in other words, we literally just talked about how infinitely higher God's ways and thoughts are above our own. That distance in reality. Pride traverses that distance and trades spots. You place your ways and thoughts above God's ways that far. Pride is placing your own thoughts and ways as higher than God's. You're switching the positions. We're lifting high ourselves above God himself. And so when, when you and I get into this place where we truly believe, we're, we're convinced in our soul that God was unfair about something in your life. When we get to that place where we are convinced that God's ways, they're not actually perfect. They're not actually good or right and just. He, he got something wrong. There was something that happened in my life that he got wrong, and I'm just going to hold on to that. When that's the state of our souls, this is the reality of our lives. We have exalted ourselves above God. We're saying to God, God, hmm, my thoughts and ways are above yours. Now, I'm telling you that you might not be actively saying this, but this is the subtle truth that has infiltrated your heart and it's hidden behind everything. And you know what I found in scripture? Almost every time when someone did the switch, where this word higher occurs, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't end too well for them. It doesn't end too well for them. Look at, look at Proverbs 18. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty. Higher, there's the Hebrew word again. A heart has been elevated and exalted above God's thoughts and ways. Before destruction. I remember this, the phrase I would always hear growing up, my mom would always quote it because apparently I was a pretty prideful kid. Pride cometh before the fall. That's the King James language. A high view of your thoughts and ways above God's thoughts and ways only leads to destruction. And there's one place that I see this most specifically in Scripture. It's when Moses is sent back to Egypt 
by God to lead the Israelites out of slavery and into the promised land. Right? And so, so Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, he says, hey, Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, says, let my people go. Right? Very famous words. We don't often think of what Pharaoh's response really means, but his response epitomizes the switch. He says back to Moses, he says, who is Yahweh that I should listen to his voice and do what he says? Who? Who is, who is Yahweh? Who is this God of the, pity God of the Israelites that you're talking about? Like, who is he that I should even consider his counsel and do what he says? That who is he that I should listen to his thoughts and obey his ways? And repeatedly, Pharaoh ignores the thoughts and the ways of God. He ignores how God designed the universe and how the, the, there's intrinsic value in humanity because we're made in the image of God and should never be subject to slavery. So when we get to that place where we say, God isn't fair, God isn't right, he got something wrong in my life, and that becomes what you and I are just convinced of, then you're going to start ignoring his counsel and other things too. You're going to ignore the way he designed things to be, and you're going to wander off down your own paths. And then you get to Proverbs 14, 12, which says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to destruction. Humility, then, is the absolute conviction that you and I are still down here on the ground and God is operating light years above us. That's humility. And that's what we need. We need humility. When God seems unfair, we need humility. And humility is not just simply a personality trait because they seem likable. Humility is the position of the soul. Humility is the position of the soul where, where we're willing to acknowledge, we're gonna delight in and we're gonna trust in the truth that you and I, we just don't get things. We're not fully all comprehensive. We're, we don't, we, we're not God, right? We're, we're, we're here down on the ground and God is operating light years above us. That's where his thoughts and ways are. So we need the kind of humility that the, that the psalmist in Psalm 131 says. Check this out. Lord, my heart is not proud. There's the word again. My heart, I've not let my heart get above you. I've not let my thoughts and ways go above your thoughts and ways. My heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not get involved with things too great or too wondrous for me. Instead, I have calmed and quieted my soul. 
So brothers and sisters, when God seems unfair, the next step in that is not lamenting your circumstances. The next step in that is confessing your arrogance. That's the hardest part. I told you it was going to be rough. When God seems unfair, the next step is not to just simply lament your circumstances. It's to confess the arrogance that we have that actually believes that he's unfair. We need to confess our pride. We need to confess that we've brought his ways down to earth and we've exalted our ways across the universe. It made them better than his. And we need to beg for humility. Not that our circumstances would change, but that a position of our soul would. And if we refuse to do that, then you and I will not make any progress through our pain if pride plagues our doubts. Did you catch that? You are in pain and you will not make any progress or hit any growth through your pain if this sort of pride is what plagues your doubts. So I'll say this, perhaps years ago, this is how we'll close out. Perhaps it was years ago when, when, when you started entertaining the thought that God, God got something wrong. He, he got something morally wrong. He just, he, he, it, something was unfair in your life and, and he's the one to totally blame for everything and, and whether he did it or he allowed it, whatever. And, and now that subtle belief has infected more of your soul than you thought imaginable. And because your soul has been so infected with that belief, you've chosen your own ways. And by now you've probably found out that your own ways only lead to destruction, just like scripture says. Your own ways only leads to perpetual brokenness, just like scripture says. Brothers and sisters, I I need... I want to be as careful as I can here, but would you be willing to confess your pride before the Lord today? If that's the state of your soul, would you, would you be willing to confess that it, that it wasn't God who got it wrong? You started getting it wrong when you believed that. Would you, would you be willing to humble yourself before the Lord and beg God for the grace that transforms our perspective and, and reorients the position of our soul and, and, and align it with the true reality of what we all know to be true, what we profess, that God is good all the time. And all his ways are higher in every way always. Would you be willing to go before the Lord with that humility in mind? And it's only then and there, brothers and sisters, will you find the peace and the fortitude for your soul and for your faith when things in life get unfair because they will. So I, I just want to offer a time right now for you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. 
And, and I'm going to get out of the way as much as I can here. And, and I just want to invite you to go before the Lord. You've got the space. You've got the time right now. Would you, if you're feeling convicted about, about God's word with this, would you go before the Lord? I can't do that for you. It's your own relationship with God. So would you do that right now? to struggle with this sort of question. To struggle with this kind of doubt. And so God, I just lift up my, my church family here to you. And I just pray, Lord, that you would use your word like a scalpel, even if I've accidentally used it like, like a butcher knife. God, I pray that you would delicately cut into the depths of our hearts and carefully extract the roots as deep as the infection goes of any kind of belief that says you've got something wrong, God. God, I... I, I we confess that we've probably held on to that for too long. So God, I pray that this morning we would do exactly as Austin prayed in our prayer time, that, that we, 
We would trust in you with all our hearts and lean not on our own understanding. In all of our ways, acknowledge you and you will direct our paths. You will direct our ways. God, I pray that that would be the state of our souls today, that we would have the, the shared grace of humility as we, as we depart into the week today so that we may not exalt ourselves to being above you, but that we would humble ourselves, that you would humble us and keep us in the right position of our souls, infinitely beneath your thoughts and ways. Because God, you are that good, you are that high, you are that holy, you are that just, you are that right, you are that perfect, you are that everlasting. You are God, and we're not. Keep us in that place, God when things seem unfair. And I ask all of this in Jesus' most powerful and holy name. Amen. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.